Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody. A very warm welcome back once more to the Tap and Go. It's great to have you here this week. As I mentioned last week, we have something else a little bit different today. Today, we're joined by someone who has the job which every 10-year-old boy dreams of. The job that every person who turns their TV on at 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon to watch the goals go in thinks they would be good at. He is lucky enough to travel around the country watching some of the finest teams play. He is one of Soccer Saturday's finest. It's Mr. Mark McAdam. So sit back and relax, and hopefully we can get this out of the way before Leicester and Palace kick off in half an hour. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. So, I mean, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, I'm just in the middle of a um, busy period of time. It feels like every season at the moment is is mad busy, and particularly this season with the World Cup sandwiched for six weeks in the middle of a busy football campaign already, it just means that you're Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, uh, and you don't get five minutes to stop and think and reflect and just uh, you're just on to the next next thing. So, yeah, no, it's all it's all good. No complaints at all. Best job in the world. Yeah, no, it's definitely the best job in the world. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful that you managed to give up half an hour to come speak. And yeah, as you said, you've been away from home for 10 days now. And it's sort of, you know, we're very grateful to have you on. Um, so might as well start what you just mentioned. Obviously, the World Cup's coming up. Um, obviously, it's been one of the more controversial World Cups in the past. What are your sort of general takes on it? Are you excited for it or are you a bit apprehensive with everything that's sort of been surrounding it, all the politics and everything like that? I'm excited for the football because it is truly one of the most spectacular sporting events in the world and it only happens every four years so to see the teams going toe-to-toe on the pitch I, I cannot wait for it's something I'm super excited about of course I have a few reservations about things off the field um, the human rights record of Qatar the way that LGBTQ plus people are treated uh, and of course just generally the way they were awarded the World Cup perhaps um, you know it leaves you just 
with a few questions. Um, but it is what it is. It is in Qatar. Uh, and let's use this as an opportunity to show the Qatari people and, of course, the people that are responsible for the World Cup that this, um, you know, this is a, the, the best sport in the world and football is, is truly a global language. And let's use this as an opportunity to showcase that regardless of your gender, your sexuality, your religion, where you come from, what you believe in, you should be allowed to go and watch football and support your team. Loved and supported for, for whatever you are. We're all one race and that's the race. So, um, yeah, maybe it's an opportunity to to kind of uh, let them know that um, things Right, and shouldn't be done in certain ways, but also, um, you know, let's let's um, think about that and uh, use this opportunity and get excited about football because that's uh, uh, you know what we're all there for at the end of the day. No, very well said. And obviously, so looking at the football, what are your sort of early predictions on what's going to happen? I think um, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because you know, you just know that the South American sides will be will be good, Argentina and Brazil. Um, will be there or thereabouts. You know that that Germany, France will be will be strong. You know there's a there's a secret compartment in your brain that thinks England might be okay uh, despite their recent form, which obviously hasn't hasn't been great and has left a lot to be desired. So, um, you know it's it's one of those things. And, and then even you know one of the one of the Asian sides or one of the African sides will probably surprise a few. So, I think that's the the great thing about the World Cup is that you know you've got this collection of football culture and heritage from from everywhere in the world coming together and at the end of the day as we've seen on the big stages and the big tournaments it's not always about which team has the best players on paper it's about the team that's the best team um so I think you know it'd be brilliant and I think um I can enjoy it and it'd be very different of course you know we're not going to be sat in beer gardens wearing shorts and vests and you know chucking beer in the air we'll be we'll be sat like five layers deep chucking chucking a hot chocolate in the air so it's going to be a very different uh, type of World Cup for us. It's condensed as well, which means there's four games a day as opposed to three games. Um, so that's obviously going to have a, a bit of a, an effect on things. So literally, it's going to be wall-to-wall live football for the first two and a bit weeks. So that'll be brilliant at a time where everyone's quite jovial anyway because it's Christmas. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to, to see how it plays out. And, of course, the, the countdown is definitely on there. So just t- touch on that point, obviously, with it not being in the summer, do you think that's going to have an effect on the following and sort of the support the World Cup gets? I mean, England fans are nuts anyway, but do you sort of think that because of the kickoff times, everything like that might be a little bit less followed than other World Cups previously? I think it will be followed in the same way, you know, every World Cup will be followed. I remember when the World Cup was in Japan, am I 2004, maybe something like that, or 2002, oh. I can't quite remember now. Um, but, um, you know, I was getting up at 5am to to watch the England games, um, you know, to support the team. Um, and it would be the same if it was late at night. I think it's one of those things that this is appointment to view football TV. You know, regardless uh, of what time the match is on, people will get up to watch it and support their nation because that's what the World Cup is all about. And the great thing about World Cups from the past is that it draws families together you know, the wives, the aunties, the daughters, the cousins that, that perhaps historically wouldn't watch football, wouldn't watch matches. Everyone gets excited for the World Cup and, and that's what's um, truly brilliant about it. I mean, how good a Christmas could it be if, if England did, did the <laughs> unthinkable? It would literally be the best, wouldn't it? I think I don't think anyone could dream of a better Christmas than if England won the World Cup. 
And that's that's part of the, the fun of being a football fan is it's the ability to, to dream and to get excited about what might happen. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, if, for example, we'd won a couple of Nations League matches and played reasonably well recently, I think everyone would be going, right, we got to the final of the Euros. We got to the semi-final of the last World Cup. Now, surely this is our time. This is Gareth's time. This is Harry Kane's time to stand up and go all the way. Um, but because of recent form, everyone's expectations have been tapered a little bit. So they're not quite as perhaps enthusiastic or as um, optimistic as they would have been. So I think it's one of those situations that, um, you know, I think uh, it, it will be it will be good. It will be exciting. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, the whole the whole thing's going to be going to be very different. Do England? I mean, obviously, as you just spoke about with Nations League form going the way it has, and us finishing bottom bottom of the table for our group. And do you think it's that's quite a big telltale sign that England probably aren't going to be where they could be for this World Cup? Or do you think forget Nations League? It's a one-off World Cup. England still very much will compete and should be up and around there as they. I mean, they were four years ago. Yeah, I think I think they'll be okay. Um, I think it'll be a challenge. I think it'll be tough. I think there'll be some some really difficult games. There'll be one or two surprise teams. You have to get a little bit lucky with the draw as well. Uh, and of course, you just need to start with the right momentum. Um, and like all big tournaments, you need luck as well. I think, you know, whether it's the draw or whether it's, you know, a refereeing decision, obviously with VAR, that will be, um, you know, those, those kind of little elements of luck um, that uh, either go for you or against you, as we've seen in the past. Um, that hopefully will be eradicated now because of VAR being involved. So um, I think it's just a, a collection of different things that you need to, to go right for you. Um, and I, I don't think there's a reason, you know, we've got a really experienced manager that's managed on the international stage for a long time. There's a, a group of players that have worked and played together for, for a good number of years. There's a nice mix of, of experience and wise heads with some, some young flair and some excitement. So, I think there's a, a really nice balance to everything that, that England have at the minute. I think the one thing that they do actually lack is probably a little bit of self-belief and confidence, which is what they had for the Euros, which is what they had for the, the World Cup beforehand. Um, so if they can find that between now and the tournament, I think uh, I think everyone will be will be happy. But if they get off to a great start, play that first group game, play really well, score goals, keep a clean sheet, then uh, I think you know there's there's no reason why everyone can't be optimistic. I think you touched on quite a big thing there with the fact that England's players at the moment and we've got an incredible squad to pick from. There's been a lot of talk about Southgate and how he could potentially be seen to be defensive. You, are you sort of in that boat that Southgate, with the players he's got, should be looking to score more goals? Not necessarily. A lot of people say he avoids defeat rather than goes to win games. What's sort of your view on that? Well, I think generally Gareth's been really successful with what he's done so far. So I think you look at the situation and you go, well, actually, we've done well. We've played well. Um, and you know, tactics, back three, back four, players. Um, you speak to managers, you speak to coaches, you speak to players and, and everyone will have a different viewpoint and perspective about what should be done and what's the right thing to do. And, you know, one manager will say it's all out attack. That's what I do. That's what I want. And one manager will say the most important thing to win a football match is to have a clean sheet first and then you go from there. So I think it's getting that balance right. Uh, I think we, we definitely have, you know, when you look at the the players we've got in our armoury when it comes to going forward, the likes of Harry Kane, the likes of Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, 
um, there's some some real quality there that could potentially really damage the opposition. So I think you have to play to those strengths. I think defensively, we are perhaps a little bit weaker on paper. So therefore, you might think, well, actually, Gareth needs to look at things defensively to make sure we're really solid and resolute at the back because that's possibly our area of weakness. Um, you know, the, the two centre-halves maybe not, not as strong as other sides. Um, so therefore, that's going to be... Uh, you know, one of those things. But I think you just have to trust in what Gareth's done. You know, he's earned the right to take this England team to Qatar. What happens after that, everyone can decide after the tournament. But with what he's done over the last uh, four, five, six years, he absolutely deserves this opportunity on the biggest stage. And uh, I think we just have to trust him. I think he knows he knows what he's doing. He's been there. He's done it. He's got the T-shirt. And, you know, for a bit of luck, we we could have been, you know, world champions and we could have been European champions, you know, it, fine margins at that level. So, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. I think we can we can sort of, you know, we've got some really exciting players. And um, I think if we just we just trust in the manager, then then we'll be OK. Um, but, you know, one one game down, two games down, you can change things. You can change tactics during the course of a match. If, if something's not working, the best managers are those that recognise things and change them immediately. And you, you see it in the Premier League week in, week out, those managers that set up one way, after 20 minutes, they change formation, they move a player around, they go to a diamond in the middle, they play a different formation and, and things change. And Gareth's got to be switched on to be able to do that during matches. So, um, yeah, I, I think there is there is all the ingredients there of a, of a really strong England setup, And um, perhaps, you know, we can, we can just dream, can't we? Does he start Maguire? Well, for me, you you don't start Maguire. Um, you know that's, I'll that's agree with my, you. you know, if you're not starting for your club, then you're not in any fit place to start in a World Cup. However, Harry Maguire has always been essentially very good for England. He's never let the side down. He's always played reasonably well. Um, and Gareth Southgate is a very very loyal manager and coach. Um, and I, you know, it's probably part of the thinking of of the recent matches that Harry Maguire played. He's probably thinking, well, I'm, I know you've never let me down. You've always done well by me. You've always played well for England. Um, and I don't care if you're not playing for Manchester United. I'm actually going to play you and give you this opportunity to showcase that you're still a top class defender. Perhaps probably didn't quite work out that way. He didn't have his best best matches. Um, but you can sort of see the mindset and the mentality and the thinking behind Gareth Southgate when it when it came to deciding if. Harry Maguire should play. Um, but I think you pick the two most informed players that have got the nicest balance. So, you know, really for centre halves, if you're playing two at the back, you want someone who's really dominated, can dominate aerially, that can win headers and be a physical presence. And you want someone that's got pace and the ability to play out from the back. Um, so, you know, right now you're probably looking at John Stones and Fikayo Tamori. Um, I've always liked Kyle Walker at centre-half as well because he's strong and he's got pace. Um, so, that, yeah, that would be kind of my my thinking at the moment. But, you know, I'm not the England manager, so it's one of those things. It doesn't matter what I say. If you were the England manager, who starts a right wing back and left wing back? Uh, again, so, this you know, this is a, a fascinating um, situation. Trent is, as of this interview, going to be out for the next couple of weeks for Liverpool and he hasn't played particularly well recently as well. So he looks like he's he's some distance away from um, playing uh, for Liverpool and, of course, England. Rhys James has always done well, perhaps more of a physical presence. 
So he brings a, a little bit more strength uh, to, to that defensive unit. Um, I I like him. Um, I, I, I think Luke Shaw, you know, World Cups are big tournaments where you probably want experience. Um, so I would go with Luke Shaw. He's, he's been there, done it. He's played for Manchester United. He's been around for a, for a while. So I think perhaps he would play at left wing back for me or left yeah. back. Even though he's in and out of the United team at the moment with Manasseh? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, who else? Ben Chilwell, who else would you play at left wing back? Yeah. Um, I just think he's probably the most rounded player with the most experience. Um, um, and uh, yeah, Re Reese James would be, would probably be the the right back that will get chosen. I've always liked Kieran Trippier. He he has a different dimension as well because he's got the ability to to score goals uh, from free kicks and of course from from free kicks and corners. He he's, he's got that magic wand of a right foot that can um, you know put put things um, into the box, put quality into the box. So I think he he adds that. So it depends really. Again, you know, if, if you want to play against a side where you think you're going to have a little bit more of the ball and you can get forward and there's going to be some crucial work down the channels. You might put Trippier in so you can just get that ball in the box. If you want to be a little bit more solid defensively, you might go for Rhys James. But I don't think there's a standout really of of any of, you know, the, the back four that you go, right, he is nailed on to play 100%. Interesting. Well, we'll come back to some of the current like headlines at the moment. But I just want to talk about you for a little bit. So obviously you have got, as we've said, the best job in the world. Every job, every 10-year-old dreams of having your job. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into that and sort of was it always what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's funny actually because I know so many people grow up and they've got this, you know, really challenging moment from the age of 14, 15, 16 to sometimes early 20s where they go, you know, what do I want to do with my life? What's what's my career path? What what do I want to achieve? Where do I want to work? How do I want to pay my bills? Um, whereas for me, I knew at the age of 12 years old exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I was working in a comic shop um, in Bournemouth where I grew up. And there were customers that came in quite frequently. And there was one customer that was involved with this, this local uh, film and he said oh we need actors we need extras would you be interested and I was like yeah too right and this is a young Mark McAdam that had never acted in his life was shy and timid and quiet and someone that just had no experience of anything to do with acting and film and tv and all this sort of stuff but I volunteered to be involved in this production and as soon as I walked onto the set and as soon as I met the people involved and there was this, you know, massive ball of creativity from all these really enthusiastic uni students and film students and people from the industry that had all come together to make this project. And I was just like, well, you're all getting paid to do this. And uh, from that moment, I was like, I just fell in love with, you know, film and TV and the process of making content. And then straight away, I was like, right, this is what I want to do. So by the age of 12, I decided what college course I was going to do. Um, and um, I just kind of set out on my career path to work in the media. I got an opportunity to do a little bit of work experience when I was about 14, 15 for the local newspaper. Uh, I was sending in stories, never got paid for them, but every now and then they'd get printed. And then from that, I left school. I went to college. I was studying multimedia and TV. 
And then from that, I got um, an opportunity to work at Bournemouth Football Club. That led on to local radio. That led on to ITV Meridian, which is a local TV channel. And then from there, I went on to Sky Sports. So whilst at the beginning, my path wasn't always sport and football, the opportunities that presented themselves to me were within sport and football. So I was like, just, just ride the wave, take everything that comes your way, grasp every opportunity, and then just go from there. And then, you know, all these years later, um, I'm, I'm working in, in football still and, and TV. And um, yeah, it's, um, it goes quickly. But um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that long ago that I started off my journey on this, this incredible career that I've had so far. And I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky to have had the opportunities I've had. But really, it's just hard work and desire, never give up and, and keep going. Because there were a lot of times when I thought, you know, this industry is too tough to crack and I'm not going to get to where I want to go. So maybe I need to look at other things. But I always sort of got to the point where I was like, well, there's nothing I've ever wanted to do other than this since I was 12 years old. So you just kind of have to keep working hard and hopefully you'll get where you want to go. So obviously you are working at the, the Holy Grail of Football Coverage, which is Soccer Saturday. Sort of, did you approach Sky? Was they approach you having seen something you've done before? How did you sort of get involved with, with that? With, so with Sky, I was at ITV, ITV Meridian for a number of years. So I had a bit of TV experience. I had a bit of football experience and a few contacts and a little bit of knowledge. And um, basically all I did was I, I built a relationship with one of the news editors at Sky. And then every single kind of month, I'd send an email and say, look, I've got this idea. I've got that idea. I've got this story. I've got this interview. And then one time he phoned me up and said, oh, I've, I've just seen your email. I like um, your your idea number three um, yeah we'll, we'll send you a camera and you can do it and then that went well and then from there on and so on and so forth and I just forged relationships kept working hard kept trying to prove to them that I was good enough to work in the industry um, and then obviously just went from there and ended up freelancing for a, for a you know a big chunk of years before um, you know being there permanently so um yeah, it was just one of those things. Just I just kept bugging people, kept sending in ideas, kept being creative, kept suggesting things. And eventually, I think I just became so much of a pain that they ended up saying, well, yeah, just give him some jobs just to keep him happy. And it's clear that you love what you do. Is there sort of anything in particular which sort of like is the best part of the job or is it just the whole thing? Is you're happy doing what you do? Yeah, I love I love so many elements of of the job. Um, there are some 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 amazing things that I get to do and, and meet some incredible people. I always I always get um, a real kick when you meet someone and they say, oh, "I really loved that interview you did," or "I really loved that that series you did," or "I really loved that that piece you did," or "I re remember this," or "I remember that." And when people come up to you, maybe sometimes even years later, and say, "Oh, that interview was brilliant," and I really loved it, and made me smile, and it was great and fantastic, whatever it is, you take some you know real satisfaction from enhancing someone's life you know whether you're a singer or a comedian or a, you know a, a sports presenter if someone can watch your content and watch what you do and enjoy it and remember it then that's kind of that's the best thing that's the most amazing thing so I'm always sort of super excited about um about that kind of stuff and I always feel a great sense of pride when people talk about my work and my ideas and the things that that you come up with so that's always that's always a nice thing you know, I am up close and personal with some of the most incredible sportsmen and women that have graced the planet. And I get the opportunity to speak to them sometimes just a few moments after they've won a gold medal in the Olympics or they've won the Premier League title 
or they've achieved something that no one else has ever achieved. So, you know, th those moments are, are really special. And, you know, everyone always says, oh, who's, who's the best interview? Who's the most famous person you've met? And I, I genuinely forget, you know, so many of the people I've met because I had the opportunity to meet so many. Um, you know, I'm Wayne Rooney or Zidane um, or, you know, Robbie Williams or Samuel L. Jackson or Kylie Minogue, or, you know, Whoopi Goldberg or Jose Mourinho, you know, the or, or someone, you know, that's um, Helen Glover who wins an Olympic silver medal but spends years and years of her life dedicated to, to winning something. There's, there's always a, you know, there's always someone there that you think, oh, yeah, what about this person or that person? Or the time I played snooker with Steve Davis, six times world champion. Um, you, you kind of forget because you're so lucky that you get to, to meet these people so much of the time. And I think that's the, the, best, the best thing about the job is that you're, you're, you're as close to the action as you can possibly get, be and as close to those people competing um, that you almost feel like sometimes you share that moment and that journey in a small way with them because you're the first person to ask the question or to be there with the microphone or to get that reaction, good and bad. Um, and and that's what makes this industry and sport so precious. Yeah, I mean, there's awesome, I mean, incredible names that you just dropped. But um, Or is this the hardest part of the job? The hardest part of the job is probably the travel, loads and loads of travel. Um, as I said, when we, we spoke before the interview, um, you know, I spent 10 days, nine, 10 days up north, living out of a suitcase, <laughs> going to TK Maxx and buying my pants and socks um, because I've been away from home for so long. And then one job rolls into another job, which rolls into another job. And, you you know, one minute you're in Bristol, then you're in Manchester, there's Sheffield and Blackburn, and then you're down to Reading. And then you so whilst traveling is brilliant and you get to see so many places, you don't get to see places you just get to go to an event and then you're back on the road and on to the next one so there's a lot of time um on the road i spent a, a big chunk of my life dedicating myself to the industry this isn't really a job that you can just rock in at do your stuff and go home and switch off you know i will sit in bed most nights and watch half an hour's worth of sky sports news i'll read as much as i possibly can um i'll be across everything um, you know, whether it's cricket, whether it's rugby, whether it's, um, you know, the, the women's um, national side in America, the Premier League, the EFL, you don't know what's going to present itself to you with regards to work. So you have to be across these things because you can't just turn up and, you know, blag it. You, you, you have to have an element of knowledge and you have to respect the people that you're in the company of. And that often means you have to live, breathe, sleep sport um and it's not just a job it's a lifestyle and so often you have to dedicate yourself to that for example today's football show on sky sports news which i did you know I, I had to watch monday night football i had to watch both games on super sunday and i had to watch all the highlights from saturday because we had a section where we spoke about wolves we spoke about newcastle we spoke about arsenal liverpool and bournemouth we spoke about seven teams in the EFL. We spoke about the Monday night football um, and there were other elements as well. Um, so you have to be across everything because at some stage or another, that information and knowledge is going to be needed. So yeah, it's a, it's a job you really have to commit to, which means at times you can't always have the, the nights out and the social activities and the, the stuff you do with your friends because, you know, you need to be ready for work. 
Um, so yeah, like all these things, you know, you speak to any sportsman or woman, you know, did they have to make sacrifices with regards to social activity to achieve the things they did? Absolutely. Is sport and sports broadcasting very similar? Well, if you want to achieve things, you want to be successful and you want to progress, then you do have to dedicate yourself. You can't just turn up at nine and leave at five and think that you're going to be successful. So I can't resist just having you have what you just said. Arsenal Liverpool, one, was it a penalty? Two, was it a handball? <laughs> I, I'm I'm so confused. Like <laughs> I am so confused with what is a handball, what's not a handball, why things are being given, why VAR is making as many mistakes as it is, why are there not more ex-pros sat in Stockley Park with these VAR referees making decisions with them to help them and guide them. Um, why are decisions taking so long? You know, it just, I don't know, you know, everyone thought that the talking points would be taken away from football when VAR was introduced. But actually, there's as many talking points as there ever was. And in theory, sometimes actually a bit more because you are you are having these debates about what is it and you know, and it's just one of those things, I think, um, yeah, super frustrating for, for everyone connected. You know, sometimes it goes for you, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I just know that there are some managers that have got VAR or PGMOL apology letters framed in their office. So, um, yeah, when you get one of those, we're sorry we've made a mistake letters, um, it goes on the wall and, you know, it's just part of the game, isn't it? I mean, so I was there, I was at the game on Sunday. And- okay. The general feeling in the ground. So I have to admit, I was a Liverpool fan, but sitting in the Arsenal end, and the general Liverpool feeling... fans sitting in the Arsenal end. Yeah. So I know I was lucky. I got gifted a ticket in the Arsenal. But um, so I was the general feeling in the ground from the Arsenal fans was that at half time in this sort of video, it was a handball, and having seen the penalty, it was poof, blah, that was lucky. I think, yeah. as you mentioned, the big thing with handballs, especially, is on the Saturday that handball's given. On the Sunday, it's not. The lack of consistency, I think, is the big issue that needs to be solved. Is that? I mean, I'm yeah. You just said what you just yeah. said. But... No, uh, absolutely agree, yeah. Yeah, no, so it's, I think the big thing, I mean, you can't really do it mid-season. They've had, what, two and a half seasons to sort it now, but they need to sit everyone down in the room and say, look, this is what's done, this is what's done, because otherwise the football is just going, it's going, all the good football is being lost in the controversy by the by the other football. And that's what yeah. it's going to ruin the game as it is at the moment. Mm. But uh, so anyway, looking back at sort of you, I was wondering, so a lot of the listeners of this podcast, sort of the 16 to 18, 20-year-old bracket, who are the sort of people looking to get into the sports industry, especially, we've had a lot of guests talk about how they've got their journey. If you had any tips for people trying to break into the media game, what, so what would you say? Well, things are very different now from when I was a youngster. Um, you know, when I was growing up, you had local radio, you had local TV, and you had national TV, you had local newspapers and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of local opportunities. Whereas now they don't really exist. You can't really go to the local newspaper and start doing work experience because most of the time the local newspaper isn't there anymore. The same with uh, local radio. Local radio stations are few and far between now. And so much of um, the radio comes from, you know, Bristol or Manchester or London. It's And, it, and it's sent around the, the whole country uh, on network. So those opportunities don't exist. But what people have now, which I didn't have, and... That's the opportunity to broadcast as we are now from your house. You know, there's YouTube, there's social media, there's podcasts, there is the internet where you can reach billions and trillions of people around the globe. You don't need someone sat in, you know, a TV channel, um, 
commissioning office to say, we want you to make a program. Um, you don't need a, a PC from a local radio station to say, we want to give you a radio show between eight and 10 every Sunday morning. You don't need a newspaper editor to commission you to go and write a story on um, a news event down the road. You have at your fingertips the opportunity to put stuff out there. So I would say to everyone, you know, make podcasts, make YouTube videos, do interviews, interact on social media, make as much content as you can. Because if I'm making um, a, a piece of content for Mark McAdam YouTube, um, or I'm making a piece of content for Sky Sports that's being shown on Sky Sports News on the busiest day of the week, the process is the same. The only thing that's different is who's viewing it at the other side. There might be 10 people watching on my YouTube and there might be 10 million people watching Sky Sports, but the process is the same. The interview's the same, the question's the same, the prep's the same, uh, looking at the camera is the same, whether it's a camera in your webcam at home or whether it's a you know £25,000 camera from a broadcast cameraman at Sky, you're still looking at a lens, regardless of how expensive that lens is. Everything is the same. So don't worry about, at the beginning, how many people are watching your YouTube or you know what you're doing. Just learn the process. Understand how to craft an interview. Understand how to get really good answers off of someone. Understand how to edit and create and storytell and to recognize good news lines and to recognize good content. All those things can, can be done from day one. You know, just teach yourself and learn about the industry and put yourself in those environments and make as much as you possibly can. Um, so that would be always one piece of advice, you know, regardless of where your content is going, just make content. Because I used to, when I worked at the football club at Bournemouth, I used to, you know, make videos, um, VHS videos, funny enough, uh, and DVDs that used to get sold in the club shop. And we used to sell 100, 150 copies. That was it. Mm. Um, and, and I was rubbish, totally useless and rubbish. But I was acting as a Sky Sports presenter on a VHS video that got sold 127 times to people in and around Bournemouth. Um, but that was my breeding ground. That was my foundation. That was where I learned things. That was where I started to become the person I am now at Sky Sports. You always have to start somewhere and you always have to start at the beginning. Um, so don't worry about all of that stuff and how many people are watching. Just worry about practicing and learning and developing and, um, you know, putting all the foundations in place for your skill set to be as varied and as experienced as possible. That's another thing as well. I think, you know, people that come in and just say, oh, I just want to be a presenter, um, you know, they don't get taken very seriously. Um, come in and say, right, I want to learn how to do production. I want to learn how to edit. I want to learn how to write scripts. I want to know how to produce a rundown. I want to know about everything in this industry. I want to know about what the production manager does and what happens in the gallery and how um, how the technicians work and, and then everything else. And then when you've learned all that, then you can start to think about, oh, right, actually, I think I still think I want to know how to report and present. But the best reporters and presenters are those people that have done all of the other stuff for years and years and years as well. You know, talking on TV, talking as we are now is essentially what we're doing now. It's, yeah. it's exactly the same. It's the, it's the easy bit. It's the glossy, glamorous bit with the profile and it's the sexy bit. But actually, um, it's, um, you know, it's all the other stuff that will contribute to you being a really good broadcaster or presenter. 
because you understand all the things that are going on behind the scenes and you understand when things don't go to plan. Because in live TV, a lot of stuff does not go to plan. You know, things don't happen perfectly all the time. You have to use your initiative and you have to make things happen yourself and you have to be quick to think about, oh, that's not working. That camera's not working. The auto cue's gone down. The guest isn't ready. My notes have gone. The laptop's frozen. All this stuff, if you know how to do that anyway because of all the experience you've gained working in production teams then you'll be so much better as a presenter and reporter because you've got that big grounded experience where you know how to do every single job within that newsroom or within that channel or on location Uh, and I think they're really important things you know just that get everything get as much experience as you can meet as many people as you can always get phone numbers and emails because you'll never have too many contacts in this industry um and and get as much experience as you can doing everything and and that means just build your social media interact with people create tv shows and and do things and don't worry too much about the quality because even now having worked in this industry for over 20 years i'm still learning and developing as a presenter even today i looked at a couple of things i did today and i think that wasn't good enough i should have done this i should have done that you know you are never a finished perfect article and you will keep learning and changing and developing to the very last day you work in this industry. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to, to continually learn and develop and, and try and improve yourself every single day because this is an industry that moves forward at a rapid pace. And you need to be on the train and you need to understand the direction you're going and, and make sure you adapt and learn as you go. No, that's great. I think all the listeners, as you've said, more than I could have ever asked for us, and that's about 10 different tips, but yeah. I think so. Yeah, I just tend to talk a lot. No, that's great. Um, I think hard work and perseverance is sort of the key key things that we've learned from. And enjoy it as well. You have to enjoy it. You know, that's that's whatever you do in life. The most important thing you do when you get up out of bed every day is smile, yeah. laugh, and joke and enjoy things. If you don't enjoy this industry, then then don't be in it, you know. And yeah. whatever industry you decide to work in, you have to you have to love it and enjoy it. That's that's key. And so obviously one of the pretty bigger moments in your career and pretty, I, I hope, one of the main things you're proud of was obviously you came out, I think, in 2014. Was it? Yeah. Um, do you just want to tell us a little bit about that and sort of how you came to the decision that you felt comfortable and that how it was received and everything? So obviously, I mean, everyone's an admiration of everyone who comes out because it's such a brave thing to do in the public eye and especially with footballers. I mean, it's kind of more and more common, but from a lot of people's perspective, it's still, you still feel like the people aren't comfortable doing it, but obviously you were one of the first people to do it. So yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It was probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever had to do. And one of the most challenging things I think any LGBTQ plus person will have to do in their lifetime um, is, is come out. And, you know, it, it sounds so simple, but it's something that can fill you with fear and dread and can literally keep you awake at night. And in my case, growing up, you know, genuinely felt like I would be better off not being alive than living as a gay man. I was so scared about my sexuality and it took me a long time to understand it and feel comfortable with it. Um, you know, and sadly that's, you know, it's not always easy for people. Um, some young boys and girls can come out at 14, 15 and, and feel loved and supported and, and, and feel totally comfortable within themselves. And some people never come out in their whole lifetime. Um, and some people come out in their 20s and some in their 50s. And it's always difficult because for someone that's never had to, to go through it and never had to think about their sexuality or never been abused for 
for who they are or who they they identify as, um, it, it can often feel like this, you know, this insignificant thing that's made into a big deal. But for for most people, it will be one of the biggest things they ever do in their life because it can be so so haunting and challenging and can damage so much of your young life because you live in fear. For me, I always knew growing up I was was gay, but you know, hid it like like most people do, and felt you know very uncomfortable in my skin and who I was and what I was about. And even really into into my early twenties, um, still you know was very unsure of of myself I came out to my friends and family when I was in my early 20s but but didn't feel comfortable enough to come out in football in the sports industry so I had two very distinct different lives one was me as a gay man and and comfortable and happy in that and then the other was you know Mark McAdam working in football and being the the macho macho straight bloke that was involved in that environment and over time, it became very difficult to live two very separate lives because you become so aware of the language you use, the people you hang around with, who you're seen uh, talking to or who you're seen out with. And you almost create this whole kind of life away from your real life, um, which is which is really sad. I came out in 2014 and I've always said the reason I came out in 2014 was because that was when I felt comfortable and I accepted myself for who I was Mm. before that I still wasn't entirely comfortable with being gay you know it it took a long time for me to feel comfortable in my own skin Um, but when I decided like right yeah I don't care what people think I don't care what people say I'm ready to do this and if this industry and sport and football in particular is going to change it needs people to come out it needs people to to take those first few steps so that other people have people to look at and be inspired by and see, oh yeah, it's not too bad, is it? Yeah, things are okay. Things are changing. So yeah, came out uh, in a in a magazine in 2014, told everyone, social media, big hullabaloo. I think, you know, would I, at the time, would I say it was the best decision I've ever made for my career? Probably not. Um, was there a lot of challenges at the beginning? Definitely. Did I progress and overcome them and feel more comfortable in my my skin? Absolutely. Was it the right thing to do uh, for me personally, my mental health, my mental well-being and uh, and for the people around me? Definitely. Um, and even now, you know, eight years later, I still get messages from people that say, oh, you know, you've really inspired me and you've, you've really helped me feel comfortable in my skin. And it, it always still humbles me and touches me now because I didn't come out for a young kid that would read my story seven years later. I didn't come out for anyone else. I just came out to try and make my life a better place. But in doing so, you realize that you're having a huge impact on so many LGBTQ plus people around the country. Um, and, And I always felt like if one person felt like they could live their life and go into football and work in the media and be gay, um, because they've seen me doing it, then I would always feel like, well, that was worth it. That was the reason to come out because you've enhanced someone's someone's life in a, in a very small way, uh, but a very poignant and meaningful way. So, um, yeah, it was um, it was one of those things. And like you say, there's been so much progress that's that's been made now. You know, we have LGBTQ 
plus programs. We have campaigns. We have football versus homophobia month. We have the rainbow laces campaign. There is so much work and activism and education that's happening that I do think LGBTQ plus people do feel more, com more comfortable going to football. They do feel more comfortable going to sport. You've got Josh Cavallo. You've got uh, Jake Daniels. You've got Xander Murray. You've got high profile. You've got people that are out being their true selves, playing football, being involved in football. And yeah, it's cool. Is there going to be issues in the future? Of course there is. Are there still sexism, racism issues now? Yes, there is. Um, but are we becoming a more understanding, educated society? Um, definitely. So, you know, this is a really positive moment and things are moving forward in the right way. So, yeah, it, it's, it's funny, you know, it's, it feels so free to talk about it now. You know, I said to me 10 years ago, you'll, you'll sit here and talk on a podcast or in an interview or on live TV about your sexuality and who you were and being gay in football. Said, no way, no way, no, not a chance. I would never feel that comfortable to do that. Um, but yet now I'm sat here talking about it and embracing it. And, um, you know, I think if you are a happy, out, comfortable version of yourself, you will be a happy, brilliant version of yourself at work. And I think that's that's the most important thing for for myself and everyone to take. You talk about at work, so that's sort of the main phrase. When you first came out, did you feel like anything had changed or was everyone perfectly happy and sort of just cracked on as it was I mean obviously a big change for you having knowing that everyone knew but everyone else around you was perfectly sort of welcoming and happy like I think what I've read a lot about is people don't want things to change you still want to be treated as Mark McAdam nothing nothing's changed was that sort of how you felt yeah I felt I felt you know that, that my colleagues were brilliant um I think for me coming out as the first openly gay on-screen presenter and reporter at Sky there was, um, you know, a little bit of nervousness from from the bosses because they'd never had to deal with that before. They never had someone that was out there talking about their sexuality and doing interviews with football players and football managers, you know, at the same time. So, I think there was one of those things where this was a this is a little bit this is a little bit different for us. This is, you know, we haven't had to do this before. We haven't had these conversations before. We don't understand it. This is all very new. So. I do think it was, um, you know, it was challenging in different ways for everyone. Um, but um, my colleagues were, were amazing. Um, generally, I think football was amazing. Uh, I felt the love and support from a lot of people. And, um, you know, these, these things always take time. You know, stuff's never going to be, you know, perfect all the way through. Um, but um, I think that was, yeah, it was... You know, you know the, the most significant moment of my life. And the one thing I think as well that you know, this is always a thing, you don't really ever just come out once, you know. Yeah. You come out, it's not, you don't just come out and go, right, that's it, I'm out, and everyone knows now. Because you'll meet someone new two years down the line, you'll say, oh, you've got a wife, you've got kids. And then you have to have that conversation. Well, actually, no, I'm I'm gay, so no wife, no kids, no. And, and then you meet someone else in the same conversation, oh, you know, and then you, no, no, I'm gay. And so you're always coming out for the rest of your life. And, you know, not, not everyone knows your backstory. Not everyone has read page 118 of Gay Times from 2014, September issue. So, you know, you have to kind of have that conversation with people a lot. Um, and there's always that nervousness as well. When you meet someone for the first time, there's always that, that little thing in your mind and you go, oh, is this person going to be cool with me being gay? Do I, do I just, 
decide not to tell them or do I just answer the question cleverly or or do I feel comfortable that I can be who I am you know 99 times over 100 you you feel comfortable to be yourself and whatever someone thinks someone thinks so it's it's one of those situations I always say you can you can never just come out at a certain time you have to just come out when it's right if that's 57 27 12 or or 21 you know when you're comfortable in your skin and when you're ready and you're you're not working to anyone else's time scale you're only working to your own and you set that time scale and if you want to come out you come out and if you don't and you're not ready then you don't it's as simple as that no well I'm completely well no thank you very much sort of just opening up and sort of chatting a little bit about it I know you've chatted a lot about it in previous but just sort of for me having read a lot but never sort of like heard that much is quite a quite a powerful but also incredible thing to hear about so sort of moving on from that and now looking at just a couple of like the main headlines at the moment so obviously Premier League this year one of the biggest headlines has been Erling Haaland sort of freak like can he keep it up sort of what I, there's not really words to describe at the moment are there I love it I think it's incredible this is just what we love about football and sport and we love those people that are brilliant whether it's Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal or whether it's Lewis Hamilton or whether it's Phil Taylor or Tiger Woods uh, or Serena Williams. We love those people that are, you know, just freaks of human nature because they are so good. Now, generally in football, you don't get very many of them, you know, Lionel Messi, um, Ronaldo, Pelé, Zidane, you know, those kind of players don't come along very often. They're once in a generation. Uh, and now you're looking at Erling Haaland, who has scored against every side he's faced in the Premier League this season, except for Bournemouth, I might just add. <laughs> um, and uh, he just looks incredible. He just he he is the complete package of a striker: physical presence, strong in the air, quick, dynamic, brilliant ability to find space, scores with virtually every touch. Um, not tonight. Intelligence. Sorry. Didn't score tonight. Did he not? I haven't seen the results tonight. So I don't, I, I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, but, but he's one of those, you know, um, he, he looks like he's going to get 40 to 50 goals this season, which would just be remarkable for, for his first season in English football. There's been some brilliant stats banded around over the last 24 hours that, he would have to score an average of 37 goals for the next 17 years to get on the same level as as Ronaldo. So yeah. and Ronaldo's not allowed to score another goal for that to happen as well. Yeah. yeah. So um yeah, you'd you'd look at that and think that's A, that's how good Ronaldo is. Yeah. Um, but also, um, yeah, you do look at him and think he could be that yeah. man that could go on and, and get a significant amount of goals. Um, and you know we'll leave Man City in the next two or three years and end up playing for for Real Madrid or Barcelona, um, and then he'll move on and go and play for Bayern Munich, and and then he'll or Borussia Dortmund again, and then he'll you know and and, and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, I, I think he's incredible, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of those players that you have to say you have to go and watch him play because he is that good. Um, you know, like Messi and Ronaldo, you always remember when you watch them live. And um, I think, um, yeah, he's he's a really, really special, exciting player. 
Have you had the um, pleasure of meeting him yet? Not yet, no. But I'd I'd love to. Um, <laughs> twenty two years old. Um, you know that it's not like he's twenty seven. Like he yeah. is still at the beginning. He yeah. he has got so much um, more improvement to happen and so many more levels to his game. So yeah, I cannot wait to see how how he unfolds as a as a player. Um, yeah, I think the fact he's been even put in the same conversation as sort of people drawing out the facts of how he can match Ronaldo sort of illustrates already how incredible he is and like yeah, I mean. City are unstoppable if he keeps up what what he's doing. But do you think he is one of you talked about him going in three years to Madrid then to Bayern? Do you so? Do you think he is one of those players who will keep dotting around to whoever's got the most money? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's about money. I definitely no, sorry, don't. Whoever can about... afford to have him. Yeah, and I, actually, I don't think you know Man City pay fifty one million pound for him. Yeah, you know that 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 wasn't a two hundred million pound deal. It was a fifty one million pound deal because. The clause that was inserted into his Borussia Dortmund contract was in the summer of 2022, he can leave for 65 million euros. Mm. So it was quite simple. That was that was that. And I would be pretty certain that that clause exists in some form or another at Manchester City. Yeah. Now, whether it's the summer of 2024 or the summer of 2025, probably a little bit more than 65 million pounds, maybe 100 million, whatever it will be, will be cheap. Uh-huh. And it won't be about him going for the most money. It will be about him going to where he feels his career can go to the next level. You know, when you look back on your career, he probably wants to to look back and go, right, I won titles in Germany. I won titles in England. I won Champions Leagues in various countries. I won this. I won that. I won all these things. And I played for five of the biggest clubs in world football in my career. So therefore I can go, right, I've done it all. I've experienced it all. And I've had the most incredible career. So I think it will just be about where he feels the next level to his game will come. You probably look and go, well, it'll be Real Madrid or Barcelona. So um, yeah. And they can probably both, you know, afford the money and they'll both pay him, you know, big chunky wages. So um, I think it's yeah. I think it's only a matter of time before he leaves Manchester City. I think the Pep Guardiola thing was the biggest reason he decided to go there. The fact that his dad played for the club as well definitely a big factor. But the fact that he could work under you know the greatest modern coach that football has ever seen and arguably manager maybe in ten years time he'll match the great Sir Alex Ferguson um, for, for for titles and silverware. Uh, that would been would have been a big draw as well. But um, yeah, I, I cannot wait to see how how he develops, you know, and it, like you say, we're talking now, he didn't score tonight. Ooh, wow. He didn't score tonight. You know, that's, that's big news because you expect him to score at least one or seven goals every game he plays. I mean, it's like looking away from City, the team everyone sort of expected to be not neck and neck, but the main challenge is Liverpool. What, what's gone wrong there? Have you got any, not inside, but any thoughts on what the hell's happened there? Yeah, I don't, you know, I think if, if I knew what had happened at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp might pick up the phone and give me, give me a job. <laughs> Um, I don't even think Jurgen Klopp knows what's going wrong at Liverpool right now. Clearly, there's something not not quite right. There's something not 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 happening the way it should. I think it also shows how much of football is a confidence and a self belief game as well. When you're on that that positive run, you're in the right place, and you're you know I've seen teams that are really struggling with fitness. They're struggling with um, you know quality, but because they've got a belief that they can win games, they just go and win games, and they just keep riding that confidence wave. Um, and clearly at Liverpool at the moment, it's it's just not there. Um, so it might take some time for it to, to get back. You saw a few years ago where they where they had a bit of a struggle. They went into the transfer window, bought Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. 
this might be a moment where they go, right, we just need to freshen up this team. Um, and and now we need to do it. And you, you almost got the feeling as well that this summer you were looking at the, you know, Chelsea spending 300 million, Manchester United spending 200 plus million, Manchester City bringing in Haaland, Alvarez, Phillips. You're thinking, wow, they're, they're, they're getting stronger. And Liverpool signed Nunez, which was great, but then they signed two youngsters. Um, so you're, you're thinking, well, I don't know if they've quite gone to that next level with everyone else. You know, Jude Bellingham would be the, the one player you'd look at and go, he's got the, the natural Liverpool fit. They could do with him right now. You know, imagine Jude Bellingham in that Liverpool side alongside Diaz and Salah and Nunez. You'd think, well, that, that's a, you know, a big player that can play there um, and take them to the next level. But they didn't spend the money. They didn't go and recruit the player they needed. And it almost felt like that side needed freshening up and it didn't get the big freshen up it needed. Um, and now they're, they're, they're suffering. Two wins in, in 10 Premier League matches. They're closer to the, the bottom three than they are the top top of the table. Um, so therefore, this is going to be Jurgen Klopp's biggest challenge now. Um, interestingly as well, we had a stat on today's show. He was at Mainz for seven years as manager. He was at Borussia Dortmund for seven years as manager. Yeah. He's now been at Liverpool for seven years as manager. Is it, is it the seven-year itch? Is he thinking, you know, my time's gone? Um, and, you know, as as we've seen in football, you know, that that how many team talks can you deliver? You yeah. know, when you've been there for seven years and delivered in excess of 350 team talks and 350 half-time team talks and, um, you know, you, you know, training session after training session after training session, the, the message gets stale. The voice gets repetitive. Um, the energy isn't the same. And and that's the challenge of football. When you look at the likes of Arsene Wenger or Pep Guardiola or Sir Alex Ferguson, how can you keep reinventing yourself and rejuvenating yourself to continually pull new things out of the same team? Um, and that's what Jurgen Klopp has now got to do. Um, no question, one of the greatest managers to grace the Premier League. But he's got a big challenge on his hands now because he's got to turn... Uh, you know, you know, a ship that's heading in completely the wrong direction around. Do you think that's going to cost him in the pursuit of Bellingham? Because Bellingham's not going to want to come to a club who I mean, potentially might not even have Champions League football next year. They didn't go and spend the money this year because it was all going to happen next summer, but they might have now missed the chance. Yeah, of course. And, you know, Jude Bellingham might get an offer from Manchester City or Manchester United or Chelsea or yeah. Real Madrid or Barcelona. And, and, you know, the offer might be, you know, more than what Liverpool are prepared to pay him, and the the the, the transfer fee might be more than what um, Liverpool are prepared to pay Borussia Dortmund as well. So um, yeah, it's one of those bizarre bizarre moments where you think sometimes if you don't go and get a player, then you might miss out on a player. Uh, I was at Jude Bellingham's um, debut uh, away at Portsmouth for Birmingham, and straight away, uh, same as Harvey Elliott, you look at him, you think, oh, great player, so much ability, looks really good. Um, you know, it was a, a lot of money for, for Brussels Dortmund to pay, um, you know, Birmingham, £25 million for a young kid who's barely paid any first team games. Um, but actually now, £25 million quid looks like a steal. So, you know, that's that's football, that's recruitment, that's scouting. Um, and sometimes it's not necessarily about, you know, it's, it's about the club that's prepared to take the gamble. Every signing is a gamble. Um, but sometimes you just have to look at it and think, well, actually, I think this is a gamble worth taking. 
And there's been a lot of rumours sort of floating around about Mbappe, especially today and yesterday, about how he's sort of unhappy at PSG, but then they sort of said they'll let him go, but it's not going to Madrid. Do you see any like genuine genuinity in those rumours? And if he does leave and he can't go to Real Madrid, where do you see him going? Because surely City can't then go for Mbappe as well, having already signed hard. And like, then there's, if you think right now, Bayern's probably the only other big, big club at the moment who he probably would go to. Yeah, well, you know, Kylian Mbappe stayed because he got the best offer from PSG and the most money from PSG. You know, I think he had his heart set on going to Real Madrid and everyone thought he was going to Real Madrid. He was on a free transfer and the deal was done. And then he stayed for whatever reason. So, you know, he must he must have bought into the project or did he just buy into a great big check? I, I, I don't know. Check. Yeah, so, you know... All you know, if he didn't, if he if he was unsure about the PSG project, just sign a year, mm. you know, just sign a year contract, and then leave again on a free in the summer. Um, you know, it really disappoints me when players sign three, four, five, seven year contracts and then they want to leave after eighteen months. Yeah, well, it doesn't work like that. You know, you, you sign the contract because you want to stay at that club for that period of time and get that amount of money. Um, if you if you're thinking about leaving, then sign a shorter deal and back yourself, and 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 back yourself to go and move on and get another club. But often players want to have their cake and eat it. They want to have all the money now and the security of a contract, but they also want to leave. Well, you can't really have both, and you saw it last summer um, with Harry Kane and Manchester City. And um, you know what, what happens if Man City did pay the 150 million that Tottenham reportedly wanted? Would they have gone and got Haaland as well this this summer? Or would he have ended up going somewhere else? It's amazing how these things work out. Um, but yeah, Daniel Levy said, no, you're not for sale. This is it. I don't care what gentleman's agreement you think we have. We're not prepared to sell you to a rival um, for anything less than this. And in the end, the deal didn't happen. Harry Kane had a long-term contract. He'd signed that contract. He had no choice. He had to stay. Um, so players need to be conscious of, of those deals when they sign them. And, and you know, if they've got plans to move on, then don't sign the deal. Mm. Completely. I think, I mean, I mean, Tottenham will be rubbing their hands together now with Kane sort of hitting form that he's sort of looked like Harry Kane from two or three years ago, where he is just looking like he's going to score with every touch he gets. I mean, obviously not with the same proliferancy that Haaland's got known, but it's not, not far off. He's number two in the golden boot race. Um, and obviously one of the sort of looking slightly less positive side Premier League is two managers in particular who are very much under pressure. Steven Gerrard being one of them. Do you think that it's Villa worth sticking with him? He's obviously quite new to the whole managerial game, did well with Rangers, but otherwise pretty much unproven. Villa really struggling for results, even though they've spent the money. What do you think sort of the stories there, there is? I think Steven Gerrard is clearly under pressure. I think he's started to lose the fan base uh, a little bit. I don't think there's that relationship there that perhaps there once was. I think the players need to step up, stand up and and perform, um, but I but I do feel like the next six games for Steven Gerrard are going to be crucial. I think um, you know they they're unbeaten in four matches. They've had decent numbers in terms of um, you know possessions, statistics, and opportunities. Biggest problem recently: three goals in their last four games. So they they need to. Um, start scoring goals um, and and those players up front need to stand up and be counted because otherwise Steven Gerrard might find himself out of work so I think the Aston Villa stories are really interesting to watch between now and the World Cup 
because we know that the board have huge aspirations. They've invested heavily. They want to not just get into the top 10 in the Premier League. They want to be knocking on the door of Europe. Um, and, and right now they're, they're very, very far away from that. So, yeah, it, it would definitely be an interesting one to see how, how they react and, and what happens with this Aston Villa team over the next few weeks. Completely, yeah. I think he's he's got to turn it around pretty quickly, otherwise he, he will, will be in trouble, especially with the, they have backed him the money and they've brought in the players. And I mean, nothing's really come of it. It all looked so positive at the end of last season. It's just sort of gone downhill. If you think about the last day of last season when they almost spoiled City's party for Liverpool, and then, yeah, well, nothing's happened since, really. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for giving up your evening and coming to speak to us. I thought we finished with just a bit of a quick fire round, so I'm going to ask you a couple of things, and I just want you to yep. answer as truthfully and honest as you can. Okay. Uh, start with favorite stadium. Oh wow, favorite stadium, favorite stadium. Um, I love going to Fratton Park. I think the the fans are incredible, uh, and the noise that that they create is brilliant. The Emirates is is good. Uh, St James's Park as well is another one that is that is truly. Um, magical in, in so many ways uh, and Anfield as well I know you uh, this is supposed to be quick fire and I've given you four stadiums <laughs> so um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the South Coast and I'll say Fratton Park's always special there best fans Newcastle fans are hugely hugely passionate and I love their enthusiasm excitement and buzz for this current team and this project that they are just embarking on um, embarking upon so yeah yeah I'll go with Newcastle fans Newcastle is looking extremely promising exciting I think they will be a force reckon um, look at me I'm now getting away from quick fire uh, Messi or Ronaldo uh, I will say Ronaldo um, A because I just think he's done it in more countries um, he's been successful in different countries he's taken average teams um, to to glory um, almost single-handedly um, so yeah, I, but the, the only time you can judge this debate is when they have both hung up their boots. You know, Ronaldo, whilst he's not playing very well at the moment, could go over to the MLS, win a couple of uh, titles there, score another eighty goals in two seasons, and then suddenly the, the dynamic of his figures look even a bit different, and he and he wins a bit more silverware, and he keeps going and does really well, and suddenly you think, well, uh, hang on a second, you know, he's still he's still got it. Um, Messi could decide to retire this summer. Messi, I wouldn't actually, I've, I've said it for the last couple of years, but I wouldn't be surprised if Messi finished up in the MLS as well. So he could just do one season and finish. He could do six seasons and finish. Uh, he could end up back at Barcelona. Who knows? Premier League or FA Cup? Premier League. Klopp or Pep? Pep. Champions League or World Cup? Um... World Cup. Yeah, I was, I was surprised you were thinking about that one. Uh, favourite player right now? Favourite player right now? To watch. Favourite player right now? Wow. Um, yeah, this is supposed to be quick fun. I'm struggling with this. Um, <laughs> this the last one, so take, take your time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my favourite player. Who do I watch right now? I tell you, can I? I'm going to change the question a little bit. Favourite players that I've watched. Okay. Um, I've always loved Lee Trundle. Uh, I know that's a bit left field. <laughs> um, 
But Lee was one of those players I totally loved watching. I used to get excited when I went to a Swansea or a Bristol City game um, when he was playing because he was one of my favourite players to ever watch. So that's a that's a, a slightly tweak to the question, but a very non-obvious answer. Who's your favourite Bournemouth player right now? Let's, let's go for that. My favourite Bournemouth player right now would have to be... Uh, I'm trying to think of who I might bump into first. <laughs> um, Junior Stanislas. Nice. Yeah, gifted technically, brilliant player, responsible for some amazing moments, been hugely unlucky with um, injuries, and he got me two tickets for the Leicester game for my brother last week. So I have to say him. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mark, thank you so much. That's been, I mean, I've loved that. So thank you so much, yeah, for giving up your evening. Um, I mean, I've learned a lot. We've had some fun, but yeah, no, that was great. My pleasure, Freddie. Awesome, mate. Thanks. Take it easy. Top man. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.